Anna Lee, do you think that there is any frigate that is in any way like a book? Well, I've been thinking a lot about this question ever since you posed it to me a couple of days ago. And I think that, yeah, okay, you could have a book that carried, like, say, a group of insects across, Mm -hmm. like, a, a, you know, a river. Um, Sure. The book might have to be mounted on top of something else. Like, I don't think the book would float them all the way across. But, like, say you were a group of, like, cockroaches, like making war on a group of cockroaches across the river, you could like get a book, put it on a miniature raft, and then float Uh, across and fight the other cockroaches. So thank you for asking that question. Now you know. I mean, I feel like a book would float for a short period of time, but also you could have a frigate that was sort of book-shaped. You could have a, like, Mm. this is the thing Emily Dickinson asked about, and I'm like, is there any frigate like a book? Well, you could have a frigate that was sort of, like, had, like, little kind of jagged edges, like pages of a book, and, like, was kind of V-shaped, and it would superficially resemble a book. You could have a lot of writing all over the frigate that would make it more of a Mm -hmm, book. mm -hmm. The frigate could be a book. I feel like somebody needs to do this. Someone in the world of shipping needs to do this. Yeah, I'm sorry that my mind immediately went to... uh, No, I love the cockroaches. Warships for cockroaches, I... I feel like... It just seemed like the most natural answer. Super legit. And I feel like nautical cockroaches are a big, important part of, you know, the book consuming audience for sure it's a growing uh, you know, subgenre. I, mean, I have a new favorite t-shirt which is a t-shirt i got from a bookstore called space cowboy yes which is down in joshua tree and it says books are time machines which just feels right to me i feel like that's better than saying that books are like frigates because i feel like reading a book is a time machine in in the sense that it you read a book and it makes time move faster or slower depending on what kind of book you're reading, but also when you're reading a book you can visit other times and places. It's really cool. It's like a yeah, TARDIS. I think so too. Books books are not just time machines transporting you to the past or the future, but also they can bring you into alternate timelines. They can be yes. portals into other worlds, and that's why they we love them definitely so much. Can. They are. Every book is a portal fantasy, for sure. And you know, this year, more than most years, I'm really appreciating being able to have a good book to get lost in. It's like, it's winter, the weather is about to get weathery, the world is not in a super great place right now. So, you know, we thought we would share another kind of subjective and completely incomplete list of books that you can just burrow inside of, like a nice, cozy nest during these frozen months. Or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, here are some great beach reads right. for your summer. Exactly. So it could be for the winter. It could be for the summer. Just like, you pick know, your whatever hemisphere. it is where you are. <laughs> All yeah. right. So you're listening to Our Opinions Are Correct, which is our cozy nest that we climb into. And it's a podcast about science fiction and the futurism and just everything. I'm Charlie Jane Anders. I'm a science fiction writer. My latest book is Promises Stronger Than Darkness. And I'm Annalie Newitz. I'm a science journalist who writes science fiction. And my latest novel is called The Terraformers. Yeah, and on our mini-episode next week, we'll be talking about the things that make us quit reading a book halfway through, or sometimes things that make us wish that we had quit reading sooner. (laughs) Join us as we vent about our reading pet peeves. And speaking of venting, did you know that this podcast is entirely independent and funded by you, our listeners, through Patreon? That is absolutely right. 
And if you become a patron, just throw us like five bucks a month, you know, 10 bucks, a billion bucks. You know, you can pay us in cyber bucks. That just makes our opinions way more correct. You'll get mini episodes every other week. You can hang out with us on Discord and talk about the books that you like, the uh, non-lethal cockroach-related weapons that you like. Um, All of that can be just completely yours for a few bucks a month. And anything you give goes right back into the podcast and to paying our awesome producer and making sure that we just keep nattering in your ears. So find us at patreon.com slash our opinions are correct. Okay, let's get into it. And before we get started, I just wanted to say that we're going to be talking about what happens in these books, and there's going to be some minor spoilers. Nothing that we won't give away like any major plot twists. But if you're super spoiler reversed, you might want to stop listening now and just get the list of books from the show notes. So we're going to start off by talking about some friendly books, some books that are kind of maybe light or cozy or just comfort reads during the, the middle of a kind of a difficult time. Annalie, do you have a pick for us? I'm going to start with a nonfiction book. Deb Chatra, who is a engineering professor, just came out with a book a couple of weeks ago called How Infrastructure Works. And it's all about the infrastructures that make up our cities, our farms, our water resources. And it is delightful. I think that it is simultaneously kind of a almost like a travel log where you visit all of these incredible charismatic megastructures along with Chatra, but also it's an explanation of how you build infrastructure and how important it is and how little we notice it when it works. And the thing I liked best about it was the fact that she emphasized that infrastructure is a collective effort. It's really a call to community to think about caring for your community, including things like making sure we have roads, making sure we have good water resources, making sure that we're keeping the water clean. And the other thing that I think is really important is she emphasizes that we're in a world where everybody's obsessed with optimization, and that's the opposite of what you want from infrastructure. You want infrastructure to be not optimized, but actually redundant and constantly Mm. in a state of being maintained. You know, you don't want your infrastructure to be so optimal that if you have a horrible freeze, (laughs) all of your pipes freeze. You want to have lots of extra stuff to help people get their water. So those were two really awesome lessons I took away from the book. And if you want to know more, I reviewed it for the Washington Post, and you can find my review there. Yeah, infrastructure is just like an inherently comforting topic because it's there for us and it's like it's what enables us to have our cozy spaces and mm-hmm. to be in our and make it to and from our cozy spaces. And you know, I love that lesson that like efficiency isn't always efficient. Like optimization isn't always optimal. Like sometimes you actually want things to be a little bit more robust than that. Mm-hmm. You, especially when it comes to things that are urgent for keeping you warm and keeping you safe and keeping you hydrated, <laughs> you want that to be Hell really yeah. redundant and you want a lot of human workers 
working on it all the time and, and making sure that it's being maintained. And that's not wasteful. That's actually what we have to do. So, okay, you tell me about a book that you are excited about that's cozy and warm. Okay, so I'll tell you about a book I just read, which is A River of Golden Bones by A.K. Mulford, which I've been hearing about A.K. Mulford for a while. They're kind of, I guess they're big on TikTok. Their books are like fantasy with a lot of queer stuff in them. And this book was just, it was delightful. It was basically set in a secondary world where... They're the ruling families of all the kingdoms are werewolves, basically. It's like nice. werewolves are in charge of everything. And like humans are kind of like just, you know, the subjects of these werewolf real rulers. And like the main character is a werewolf who, a girl, a werewolf girl. But by the end of the book, minor spoiler alert, uh, the main character realizes that they're not really a girl. They're actually non-binary and they meet some non-binary people and kind of start thinking about their non-binary identity more, which is awesome. And they mm-hmm, have like a special word for non-binary in, in that world, which is like the word for river. And it just means that things kind of flow. And it's like, it's really cool. And like, yeah. but this young non-binary werewolf is, you know, the sibling of the person who's in line for the throne of their kingdom, uh, which they've been in hiding for like their whole life until they were old enough uh, because there was like a, a coup and their their parents were deposed and so they're waiting to come back and reclaim their throne but then everything goes horribly wrong there's a witch who shows up and witches everything up and they have to go on a quest to rescue to basically save their sibling who was supposed to be in line for the throne and along the way they kind of start to realize that actually there needs to be a change werewolves need to be nicer to humans and also they kind of realize that they're non-binary and they fall in love with this person who they've known their whole life who's actually a really kind of a good example of like a very kind and you know supportive romantic interest like it's it's a dude who actually is just like yeah you you should be in charge you're really awesome i support you Aww. i support your non-binary identity and like they just have a really good relationship and you know it's a really exciting read it's a really fun read but it's not it doesn't get like ever like super scary or anything and the action scenes are so well done like the action scenes are like i could totally see the action in my mind which we talked about action scenes in a couple of our recent episodes so i know how hard they are to do yeah so that's a river of golden bones by ak mulford i really enjoyed it now i know why people are so into their work yeah wow i really want to read that i i'm always sold on a book where this central romance is like about people supporting each other instead of yes i know that like we're all about enemies to lovers right now but like i'm much more into friends to lovers like i think that's like same a narrative structure that really appeals to me and like it doesn't mean that it's better it's just like that's just what appeals to me okay so speaking of relationships yeah give us another pick give us a pick so um, I love the central relationship in Malka Older's new <gasps> series, which yes! starts with the book, The Mimicking of Known Successes. And it's about a detective and her bestie, who's also her partner, who's also her, a scientist. Her ex, but it's her ex, but then, spoiler alert, there's some romantic tension between them. And yeah, the it's not, I, I think that, I mean... There's two books in the series now. There's a third one that's coming that I know you've taken a look at already, Charlie Jane. And basically the premise is that Earth has been abandoned due to environmental horrors that are never fully explained. And all of humanity is living in these 
ring-shaped structures around Jupiter. It's so cool. <laughs> and the in, the setting is really amazing. The ring-shaped structures are railroad tracks, and all of the humans are living in, like, little towns and cities attached to the railroad tracks. They're surrounded by these kind of permeable membranes that let in some of Jupiter's atmosphere. They're way, way in the upper atmosphere of Jupiter. And so it lets in some of the atmosphere of Jupiter to give a sense of weather, but it also protects people from, you know, cosmic radiation and all the other stuff. And so the result is that every part of this world looks like London in the 19th century because they're all on trains. There's like cold mist everywhere. People are constantly cozying up to fireplaces. And it starts with a murder mystery, which is actually deeply connected to all of these environmental questions about like how we're going to get back to Earth and how we live in space. And so it's like incredibly great science fiction world building and also a cozy mystery about these two characters trying to figure out this murder. And that's the sort of trajectory of the series is that each book will be continuing these murder mysteries and figuring out this larger question about Earth. So highly recommended. That's called... Love them. Yeah, the first book is called The Mimicking of Known Successes. It's by Malka Older. And they're all novellas. So they're quick reads and just such a delight. They're so delightful. And they're just such... Like, you know, I can't say enough about these books. Like, it's rare to see a science fiction murder mystery done that well, where the murder mystery is actually a really strong component of the story and not just kind of tacked on. And the romance is like utterly beautiful. I like swooned when I got to a certain part of the mimic of mimicking yeah. of those successes. It has it's so good. It has the friends to lovers vibe, which I really like. It so. does. Yeah. It really does. And you know, I think that we're just there's a theme emerging. We really like friends to lovers, and we're just going to say it so. We're not going to admit you know, it. I'm sorry. That's just we how can't it's going to be. So Malka Older, of course, is a friend of the pod. And if you're hanging out in our Discord, you might see her there. Another friend of the pod is the incredible Maggie Tokuda Hall, which we had in yes. one of our earliest episodes about animals. And she's she's incredible. She's just like one of my heroes. And so we might or might not have talked to you about her first YA book, which was called uh, The Mermaid, the Witch, and the Sea. But now the sequel is out, The Siren, The Song, and The Spy. And I had a chance to read an early version of it. It takes all of the stuff from The the Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea and just opens out the world, introduces a bunch of new characters, kind of deals with, like, because the first book is about pirates and about, like, an empire and, like, people who are on the run from the empire, but also, you know, just, like... It's a really a beautiful romance, also including a lot of queerness and a lot of mm-hmm. friends to lovers vibes. Um, but the second book, I think it gets it gets more complicated, and like we get to see more of how the empire operates, and we get to see stuff more from the point of view of people who've been colonized, as well as people who there's actually a really just gripping storyline about a character who has kind of been absorbed into the empire and has kind of taken on that culture, but is kind of now reconnecting with, with her roots. It's such a great, it's such a great book. And like, it's, it's a duology. So you could get both of those books right now and you've got the complete set and it's so amazing. Yeah. I just love those books. And I think that since they, since that series started, there's been so much great pirate culture that's really caught Mm. on. Like our flag means death. Which I think if you like Our Flag Means Death, you will definitely like these books. They aren't oh, as yeah. goofy. They're not as silly, but they have the same They're a little ambient. bit goofy in places. They're, 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 but they're not like 
broadly humorous and they ha- but they have the same sense of like anti-colonial queer pirates like trying to do good in the world essentially um although in our flag means death it's like are they trying to do good or just be pirates it's hard to say but it, certainly in in Maggie's books they they are trying to uh, make the world better so yeah definitely check those out they're delightful my next recommendation is a novel that I and many people across the world have been waiting for for many, many years. It's by Nicola Griffith. It's called Meanwood, and it is a sequel to her book Hild, which is just an incredible evocation of medieval England. And it's about St. Hilda, who I knew nothing about before reading this book. And so I, I was actually, I was halfway through the book before I realized like, oh, this is like a real life saint. Because uh, she doesn't act like a saint in the first book. She's an amazing warrior and uh, has lots of delightful bisexual experiences um, and is bringing Christianity to Britain, which is really interesting because the way that Nicola Griffith portrays that is in this really practical, interesting narrative where we learn that it's not so much that Hild is persuaded by Christianity. It's just that she sees it as politically efficacious. And she learns to read and write, unlike a lot of her contemporaries. And so she sees writing as a way to do spycraft, but also to engage in international trade. And Christianity is kind of part of that. So it's a really realistic take on a heavily mythologized figure But also, there is some stuff that seems maybe a little magic in the book, and Hild herself is an incredible warrior. This is the thing I love about Nicola Griffith, is she writes, she herself has a lot of experience doing fighting and martial arts. She writes very athletic, combat-oriented female characters super well, and she makes them super sexy. And so... Meanwood is the sequel to this book. So Hild is about the early life of St. Hilda. And now we're going to see what happens when she actually comes into power as a leader in Britain and really brings the church into the burgeoning nation, which is still not united yet. So if you love historical tales that are queer and full of amazing female heroes, you are just going to be in heaven. I would say start with Hild. That's your whole vacation. You got healed. You got Meanwood. You're set. Okay, give 100%. us another. Give us another uh, tip for uh, a cozy book. Yeah. Well. Okay. So th- I've got a really good one, which is uh, "Mammoths at the Gates" by Nevo, which is part <sighs> of the Singing Hills cycle. Love and those. so basically, these are like I think there's four of these so far. They're all novellas, just like Malika's books. They're also published by Tor.com. And uh, I think there might right be now. more there's, than four. There's a fifth one coming. Oh, okay, sorry. There's a fifth one coming next year. I've already got it on my radar. Yeah. And basically, these are the stories of a character named Cleric Chu, who is a a non-binary person who's who's in a monastery, who's a, a non-binary monk in this monastery, and they have these like special birds that are kind of like 
have eidetic memory that travel around with cleric cha and kind of remember people's stories mm. and uh the first book in this series is empress of salt and fortune which is also just freaking brilliant and amazing uh mammoths at the gates is just gorgeous it's such a gorgeous book it's basically cleric cha comes back to the monastery to the singing hills monastery and then these people show up with mammoths which are basically in that world they're like the ultimate war machine like if you have Mm-hmm, a couple of mammoths mm-hmm. you can like knock down anything yeah. and they want uh the dead body of their grandfather who was actually the abbot of the monastery and so it's like these two it's kind of about you know who can lay claim to this guy's body but also who's going to take over now that the abbot is dead and like how do we remember people and how do we lay claim to the people who have gone it's a really it's such a it's got a lot of kind of dense ideas it's very chewy it's not a book that ever becomes like scary or violent even though there's these mammoths that are kind of threatening it's always a book that's just very kind of thoughtful and full of stuff about community i found it really just like gorgeous and uplifting and just a lovely escape from the world and i'm when that fifth book comes out i am all over it um annalee hit me in a, hit me with another uh recommendation yeah, so I really loved Mia Tsai's debut novel, Bitter Medicine. Uh, yeah. Earlier this year, I probably raved about it here before. Um, it is part of a new subgenre that I'm seeing more and more of, which I would call like the fantasy medical thriller or like the fantasy forensic oh. thriller. Um which sort of uh, like bruising of Kilwa. Yeah, I was thinking Nassim Jamnia's bruising of Kilwa is in the same vein. Bitter Medicine is much more light and romantic than uh, Bruising of Kilwa. It's basically combining fairy mythos with international spycraft. So imagine, like, James Bond as, like, a healing, a fae with healing powers. (laughs) So um, the main character, it has these healing powers and does these spells to help out these international fae spies who are doing all kinds of incredible, like, conspiracies and, like, trying to um, influence international events. And um, there's also this just slow-burn romance that I love. It is so satisfying. And it's just a delight. Like, it's a perfect cozy read. And it's, I believe, the beginning of something bigger, I hope. Um, but it's also totally self-contained. Like, it's it's not like it ends on a cliffhanger. And if you need medical fay romance with um, Spycraft, this is your book. And a lot of people felt that way. It really um, has taken off and people have really been loving it. So it's Mia Tsai, yeah. Bitter Medicine. Yeah, so we're about to go to a break. But really quickly before we do, I just wanted to mention a couple other things. Yes. Um, there's a... Everybody already loves Murderbot, the series by Martha Wells. There's a new one coming out in November called System Collapse that I'm excited to dive into. Yes. Similarly, everybody loved Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry, and now he has a prequel coming out, which I'm also excited to get to, called Bookshelves and Bone Dust, which is about the same character, but earlier in her life when she was working at a bookstore. Super excited to dive into that one. And finally, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention another friend of the pod, Karen Lord who has this 
wonderful trilogy that starts with Best of All Possible Worlds. It's kind of a, it's a space opera trilogy, but it's very kind of gentle space opera, and it's mostly just very personal stories. The other two books in the trilogy are The Galaxy Game, and then the most recent one, which just came out, is The Blue Beautiful World. And they're, they're just, they're a very unconventional take on space operas that are much more character-focused and kind of gentle than what you're expecting. They're character focused and they really, um, she's really interested in how diplomacy would fit into the story of first contact with aliens, which I love. Karen has a background in diplomacy and it's, it's just something you don't hear about very often, even though it seems obvious once you think about it. Of course, diplomats would be involved in first contact. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about books that are maybe slightly sterner stuff. All right, so here are some books that maybe have a little bit more of a an edge to them. And like, Annalie, why don't you start us off by telling us about a book that maybe is a little bit more kind of serious and intense? Well, I've been reading the latest book by the psychologist Judith Herman, who became famous in the 90s for writing a book called Trauma and Recovery, which was looking yeah. at how... People, um, specifically, she looked at rape victims and uh, former soldiers who were in combat and how their experience of trauma was very similar. And she talked about what it takes to recover from trauma. And it's a very thoughtful book that um, helped a lot of people. It helped me actually deal with, with my own trauma. And so now she has a book that's basically a sequel. She talks in the introduction to this book. It's called Truth and Repair. And she talks about how this is kind of the final chapter of trauma and recovery because she's gone back to a lot of the people she talked to for trauma and recovery, and she's talked to another group of folks as well about how they as trauma victims imagine justice and how they imagine a a larger social context for recovering from trauma. It's not just about going to therapy individually and just like feeling better about yourself? Like, how do you actually change a community that's engaged in systemic injustice or has set up a carceral system that's designed to punish perpetrators but doesn't help victims in any way? It's a really fantastic book. Again, like her other work, it's very clear. It's very personal in the sense that um, she grounds it in real people's stories. And the theme that emerges is that What we really need now is to do community work, and that means reforming the justice system, and it means abolishing the police. It means perhaps not abolishing them, but absolutely changing the role of police in dealing with people who are victims of violence. It also means having a much more formalized system for acknowledging the ways that people have been victimized and traumatized. There needs to be more public acknowledgement she finds and her the folks that she speaks with all say that one of the biggest traumas for them or the re-traumatization is when people just refuse to acknowledge what's happened to them and they're like okay fine well the guy who hurt you went to prison so you're all done now you're fine um so it's a really it is a hard read it's also really thoughtful and it's definitely something that i think is important right now especially in our culture so yeah give, that's a, give us another thoughtful read here charlie that's another conversation that we really need to be having okay so a book that i literally just finished like 
an hour ago, which I'm just still vibrating about, is Ooh. The Reformatory by Tananarive Du. It came out October 31st, so it's really brand new. It is a, like, Tananarive Du, as, you know, hopefully you all know, is like one of the kind of luminaries of, of horror noir, of black horror, has taught a class at UCLA about it. And Jordan Peele came and spoke to her class. And like, you know, she's the master. In fact, this is her second book this year. She also published an incredible short story collection called The Wishing Pool and Other Stories. But The Reformatory, holy cow, that is one of the most mind-blowing books I've read in a long time. Very upsetting, but in a really like, you know, in a very worthwhile way. It's basically, it's set in 1950 and it's about, you know, this 12-year-old kid who gets, this 12-year-old black kid who gets sent to a reform school for boys where, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the kids who get sent there don't ever make it out again. And there's, there's ghosts in the school. There's schools mm -hmm. full of ghosts of the kids who've died there. And woof. You know, that was a book that I got to say, I I usually read late at night. I read at bedtime. And I was like, yeah, at a certain point, I was like, I'm going to read this book during the day because it was just like, it gave me really upsetting dreams. But it's such a beautiful book. And it's just like, in the end, it's like, I won't give away any spoilers, but it it's, it is very worthwhile and very just like, it's very moving and very like beautifully written and also devastating. It's just utterly devastating in the best possible way. Yeah, Tanana Reevedu is one of those writers whose work never fails to terrify me. It's hard to terrify me in a novel. Like, I, it's it's just, it takes a special kind of brain <laughs> to do that. Yeah. And, uh, holy moly. So, but also I was going to say, she did do research, a lot of research for this book. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's set, so well researched. Yeah, it's set in Florida where she grew up and where her family is. And it's based on a real school. Obviously, there's not real hauntings, but um, it's it's one of those books that's powerful because a lot of it is real, even though it's, you know, obviously a fantasy. Okay, Annalie, hit us with another slightly more, slightly darker recommendation. Yeah, so I wanted to recommend uh, Jessica John's novel, Bad Cree. Uh, we had Jessica yeah. John's on uh, an episode about hauntings. Um, and so if you want to go back and listen to that, she's uh, an incredibly interesting writer and has a lot of good thoughts about like how to kind of put trauma into fiction in a way that's compelling and healing. And this is a story that's set in northern Alberta, on a uh, First Nations reserve. And it's about, again, hauntings and about how that community is haunted, not just by the past colonization by white settlers, but also by present day environmental extraction, you know, the oil sands and like what that has done to the community in the present day. So it's the ghosts, in a sense, the ghosts of the present, um, not just the, the distant past. And that's what I think makes it really interesting is that it's not placing indigenous experience like sometime back in the 19th century. It's like, no, this is actually still going on. And, you know, these families are, are dealing with these issues right now. It's also very queer and um, is full of uh, sister bonding, which is something I really like. And yeah, it's um, if you liked uh, Reservation Dogs, um, you'll definitely like this book. It has like that kind of magical realism and deals with a lot of the same issues. And um, it's just really beautiful. So check it out. Bad Cree by Jessica Johns. 
Yeah. So another book I want to recommend is Some Desperate Glory by Emily Tesh, which is just, it's a really fun space opera. It's it's kind of dark. It's not as dark as the as the ones that we just mentioned, but it's basically like humans have been living on this like kind of space station made out of a bunch of battle ships stuck together, and it's it has a very Battlestar Galactica feel to it. Actually, mm-hmm. humans. It's like this group of humans who are kind of like in this very militaristic uh, situation where they're kind of the last humans who are fighting back against these aliens that like destroyed our home world, and we're like going to try to get revenge against them. Uh, but the main character starts to kind of realize that maybe everything she's been told is a lie. And that actually, you know, she, spoiler alert, she kind of starts to realize that the war is actually over and has been over for a long time. Ooh. And that most humans are just like living their lives now. And that actually it's fine. And that you don't need to f- keep fighting this war that was over a long time ago. And, you know, it's really creepy because I'm I'm skipping around a little bit, but Early on in the book, she's like the best fighter in her unit. She's like this super badass fighter, and she's expecting to be given this like fighter role. But instead, she gets assigned to basically be uh, a part of the breeding stock in this colony. Like they basically assign her to become part of their breeding. Like they just they take they select certain, you know, certain cis women are selected to just be impregnated over and over and over again and basically have non-consensual sex. (laughs) It's everybody's worst nightmare. Have non-consensual sex with like a bunch of really skeevy, mostly older dudes who want to preserve their genes or whatever. And uh, so she and her brother goes missing. So she basically runs away and that's when she starts to realize that everything she's been taught is not true and that like actually... There's a lot more going on. It gets very trippy. That book gets super trippy. It goes to a lot of really weird places where she kind of visits alternate timelines and stuff. But it's a really fun, gripping book about basically like getting trapped in a forever war and having to kind of think your way out of it, which I feel might be a little rever- relevant to us. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, you feel like forever war, feels- you know. <laughs> does feel a little relevant. Um, that brings Possibly. me to another uh, nonfiction selection, uh, which is Naomi Klein's new book called Doppelganger. Um, Naomi Klein got famous in the 90s for writing a book called No Logo, which was all about brands and how brands were trying to humanize themselves. And this is kind of coming back to some of those issues. She's dealing a lot with online propaganda. And the doppelganger of the title is multiple. It's partly because... People confuse Naomi Klein with Naomi Wolf online a lot. And Naomi Wolf is this like right wing conspiracy nut. And the larger question in the book, though, isn't who is Naomi Wolf versus Naomi Klein, but how does a nation, an entire nation like the United States, just suddenly switch over into being go from a democratic nation to a authoritarian nation? And the question is, are we doing that? And how is it happening? Why is it that so many people who were deeply invested in the democratic process are now like, let's throw democracy in the trash can because uh, elections are all fraudulent and, you know, the deep state, et cetera. And one of the things that is particularly was prescient about the book is that a huge part of it deals with the conflict in Gaza. And of course, she wrote it obviously before the present day conflict uh, that's raging right now as we record, but she um, is talking about sort of the ongoing antagonism, what 
the Zionist government and Israel has done to Palestinians. She talks about a trip that she took into Gaza City at one point and where she gets harassed by uh, Israeli guards. Um, I should say Naomi Klein is Jewish, and she's part of uh, a group called Jews for Peace that have long advocated for peace between Palestine and Israel. And that whole section of the book just reads so differently now that these that this current attack is taking place, but it's still totally relevant. In fact, way more relevant than than I had realized when I first read it. It's just an incredible book, and it's it's really a clear explanation for what's happening and how to tell the difference between propaganda and actual evidence-based reality. And um, and it's also just very endearingly written. It's uh, You feel like you get to know Naomi Klein and trust her, and um, that's a really good part of the, the journalism that she's doing, actually. So highly recommend probably another book that you mostly want to read while it's light outside because it is really scary. Yeah, I feel like we're developing a theme here of like trauma <laughs> and propaganda. Like, you yeah. know, people who are super traumatized and who are meanwhile being bombarded with propaganda to tell us like, you know, how we should, I don't know. People being the, re-traumatized. The yeah. Yeah, people being re-traumatized by propaganda or like the propaganda tells you to ignore your trauma, one or the other. Yeah, um, that's really true. Yeah. So actually, a book that I keep thinking about a lot is The Deep Sky by Yume Kitase. I reviewed it in the Washington Post a while ago. Um, it's a another, much like Malka's books, it's another murder mystery that actually really works as a murder mystery. It's set on board a starship where it's like the first ship to leave the solar system, which I love. That's one of my favorite things in books is like the first ship to leave the solar system. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's always going to be fun. And yeah. it's basically like, you know, it's all the, your usual tropes. Like Earth is fucked and like humans are trying to like colonize another planet. And basically this is like a private venture that picks like, I think it's 80 people, all of whom are people with uteruses because they want to be able to impregnate them on the journey, which I, that's the one part of the book where I was like, why would you impregnate people in space? Why not just wait until they like keep them in suspended animation and knock them up when they get to the planet, but whatever. So it's, it's like women and non and women and non-binary people, all of whom have uteruses on this starship. That's like getting, getting out of the solar system and Mm -hmm. heading for another planet. And there's an explosion on board and so a couple of people are killed and the main character basically has to re- investigate, mm-hmm. but there's a couple problems that she has in her, her investigation. One is that she has a VR setup, which everybody, everybody on the ship has like a kind of implanted VR setup that allows them to have like a virtual environment. So they don't go, they don't just stare at these like spaceship walls all the time. They Makes can sense. have like a custom VR setup, but her VR setup is malfunctioning so that whenever she comes near someone else, it's actually showing her their VR, their kind of virtual environment ah, instead of her own, which is a really clever way of giving us more kind of backstory about some of the other characters and also winds up being kind of a clue. There's a reason why that happened. It didn't just happen by accident. And also um, the other problem she has is that she finds out that the captain of the ship, uh, who I think is one of the people who was killed in the explosion, was a was a white nationalist, was like, basically infiltrating the crew on behalf of this group of like white nationalists back on earth. And also some of the members of the crew belong to a kind of eco-terrorist group who want to sabotage the ship because 
they feel like we should be fixing the environment on Earth instead of like colonizing other planets. And so all this, like it's this rich stew of all these ideologies that they've brought with them from Earth and also all of this stuff about like seeing other people's realities. It's a really fascinating, well-done book. The main character is also kind of Japanese-American and struggles with whether she's there representing Japan in this like international mission and she struggles with whether she's Japanese enough. And it's just, it's a very kind of like, there's a lot going on in that book and it's all handled extremely well. I, I just really love that book a lot. That sounds amazing. Okay, my final pick is Wole Talabi, Shigidi and the Brass Head of Obolifon, which is a, an, a fantastic, like brilliant fantasy novel. It's set in a world where basically like all of the world's major religions have become capitalist enterprises. And so Shigidi is a minor god who's part of the Orisha Spirit Company, which is the for-profit entity that represents the Orishas of Western Africa, the, the Yoruba peoples mm. and other peoples mm-hmm. of Western Africa. And so basically they're they're competing with other major religions and like you know there's some bits in in there where they talk about like how christians keep trying to seize market share by basically (laughs) like forcibly converting people to christianity and how like you know there's this and how they're now kind of trying to get market share back by repackaging their religion in different ways and basically the whole book is about a corporate power struggle inside the orisha spirit company and uh shigidi and his partner have been asked to steal this brass head of ubalifon which is in a museum it's in the british museum actually where you know everything taken from like other cultures resides and like they have to steal this this brass head and get it to this meeting in time for this this is a minor spoiler but in time for this corporate you know, meeting that's going to happen. And so it's a classic heist novel. And it actually, the book starts out with kind of the heist and then kind of jumps around in time a lot. It does that thing of like, you know, we're in the present, we're in the past, we're in the present, you know, and Mm -hmm. like it jumps around. Sometimes we're in the 1500s, sometimes we're in the 1920s. And like, you get to meet some like famous figures from like history who kind of turn up. But also it's just, it's a really wild romp about this relationship between these two, this minor god and this succubus who have teamed up to be partners in crime. And it just gets wilder and wilder. It gets completely like off the chain. And it's such a fun read, but it also has a bunch of like really serious stuff embedded in it. And yeah, before we wrap up, I'm just going to do a quick plug for another nonfiction book that I really love, which I feel like everybody should be reading right now, called... um, Burn It Down by Maureen Ryan. Oh, yeah. Maureen Ryan is a longtime friend of ours who writes about pop culture, and she's been talking long before anybody else was, like, kind of talking about this in in mainstream outlets. She's been talking about, like, harassment and abuse in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. now she's written a book about, like, the toxic culture of Hollywood. And it is mind-blowing and upsetting, but super necessary. And she ends the book by talking a lot about like how we can basically have the same stuff that Judith Thurman talks about, like how we can have restorative justice, how we can build better systems going forward, but specifically focused around Hollywood. So highly recommend that book. It's it's a must read. So these are books that have made our lives a lot better lately, and we hope they make yours better. And, you know, please come in on Discord and tell us about the books that you've been reading lately. So Thank you so much for listening. As always, this is Our Opinions Are Correct, and you can find it wherever you find podcasts. If you find us on Apple Podcasts or someplace else where you can leave a review, please do leave a review. It helps a lot. Uh, You can also find us on Mastodon, Patreon, Instagram, and Blue Sky. Woohoo! 
And I think we're still on Facebook, maybe. Um, thanks so much to Veronica Simonetti, our heroic producer who makes us sound so much smarter than we actually are. And thanks a lot to Chris Palmer and Katia Lopez-Nichols for the incredible music. And thanks again to you for listening. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks with another episode, unless you're a patron, in which case we'll be back next week with a mini episode. And we'll be seeing you in Discord. Bye! Bye. Bye.